All right, so on this day before Christmas, we're going to turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and um, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. It's just two verses shy of the whole chapter, but uh, it's where I've decided to stop this morning. Uh, For most of you in your pew Bibles, if you're following along there, it's page 1862. Otherwise, the words will be on the screens. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, on this Christmas Eve, we kind of find ourselves between the cradle in Bethlehem and the crown of glory. Our minds and hearts this time of year celebrate the birth of the Christ child, and yet our spirits, knowing the rest of the story, give thanks for the cross and resurrection to new life, which Jesus Christ has already experienced as the first fruit and that we who are found in him will experience when our days on this earth come to an end. And so this morning we're invited to take this little reflective pause before Christmas to open and to examine this greatest gift that has ever been given to humanity, Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Hebrews, of which we just read the first chapter, the book of Hebrews is all about persevering in the faith. That was actually the challenge that was faced by first century Christians, by early Christians, 
They had made a, a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They were diligently walking in the way of the Lord. They were uh, committed believers. They were talking the talk and walking the walk. And yet, due to things like persecution, trials of many kinds, temptations, distractions, there were some who began to wonder if maybe what they had left behind was a little bit better than the life that they had been called to in Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews writes specifically to them, compelling them to think about two things. Compelling them to think about the sufficiency of Christ and compelling them to think about the supremacy of Christ. And this so that it could be an encouragement to them in persevering in their faith. So our passage this morning puts Jesus Christ through this first century body of believers and reminds them and us, because these same things apply to us, that Jesus is the sum and substance of the faith. And that when it comes down to it, there is nothing better than Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, in a sense, the author of Hebrews uh, points to Jesus Christ and he says, you know, if there's something off balance with your spiritual life, if there's something that seems lacking in your Christian experience somehow, what you need to do is you need to go right back to the center of your relationship with Jesus. Christian author Larry Richards writes this, we can come to know Jesus better, but we can never find anything better than knowing Jesus. I know that's corny. I don't usually use corny stuff, but it gets my point across, okay? We can always come to know Jesus better. Jesus is God. Jesus is intimate. His grace, his love, his compassion, his mercy. We could delve the depths of that for our entire lives here on earth and for all of eternity. We can always get to know Jesus better, but we can never find anything better than knowing Jesus, okay? So don't make the mistake of thinking especially those of you who are a little bit newer to the faith, that you're going to start with Jesus and then move on to something better, move on to some uh, greater relationship, greater revelation, greater experience, because no, 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 Jesus is it. There is nothing better. It is Jesus Christ alone that provides fullness and satisfaction in the Christian life. It's not Jesus Christ plus something else, okay? In my prayer of illumination, I mentioned that we stand in a long line of reformers who stood up and professed and staked their lives upon the claim that it is in Christ alone that our salvation rests. It is not Jesus Christ plus something else. And that goes for our spiritual life, that goes for our Christian experience as well. So the first thing we see in these first verses of Hebrews is that Christians, true believers, acknowledge God's final word as supremely authoritative. 
What do I mean by God's final word? Well, what I mean by God's final word is Jesus Christ. It stresses the finality of God's revelation in the person, the life, the work of Jesus Christ. See, it's not simply that in Christ, God had given us a a greater or fuller revelation than, than what he had given to Old Testament believers. No, it's that he has given us the final revelation in Jesus Christ. God says here, my word was not completely revealed and fulfilled until Christ came. When Christ came, the word spoken in and through him was my final word. Jesus Christ is the word of God in all of its fullness. You've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating because it It's something that we need to be reminded of, especially as we make our way devotionally and in the life of this church through both the Old and the New Testaments. Jesus is the goal of all Old Testament revelation. All those books that come before the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, where it has the the record of Jesus' birth, all of those books, all of those books point to Jesus Christ. All of God's word perfectly culminates in him. All of God's word is perfectly fulfilled in him. F.F. Bruce, scholar, writes, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. In other words, once you get to Christ, you have also gotten to the very highest point of God's revelation. There is nothing beyond Christ that is greater or higher. So if you are going to focus on something, if you acknowledge the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, if you are going to focus on something in there, do not get bogged down. Do not get bogged down with anything that you can get bogged down with disconnected with Jesus Christ. Once you get to Christ, you've gotten to the very highest point in God's revelation. And so don't get bogged down in things, even in scripture, apart from Jesus Christ. John Calvin writes, it was not part of the word that Christ brought, but the last closing word. Jesus is the culmination of all that God has said to humanity throughout history, okay? Throughout history. Once you've seen Jesus Christ, once you have encountered Jesus Christ, once you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have seen God the Father as clearly as you will ever see him until you see him face to face in glory. And even then, In case you're wondering, Scripture tells us that we will see God the Father in and through Jesus Christ. John Calvin again, just as the Spirit of God in this passage invites all to come as far as Christ, so he forbids them to overstep this last word of which he makes mention. In short, this is a limit of some sort, a limit of our wisdom that is placed here in the gospel. 
It is a limit that we are going to overstep, that we are going to transgress if we think that there is something more, something better, something beyond our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so the author of Hebrews wants to make that very clear, very clear. Believers, when they are looking for a place to camp out, place to study, place to pray, place to ponder, it is Jesus Christ where we want to camp out. Jesus Christ understanding that revelation, going back through the Gospels, learning more. As I said earlier, you are not going to reach the width or the depth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, his grace, his truth, his love, his mercy, his compassion. And this point actually has a double implication. It's not just that the Old Testament leads up to Christ. It's that once we get to Christ, God has not held back some greater revelation of himself in this world. It culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that phrase in our text, in these days, is one that refers to the end time. Yes, it was written over 2,000 years ago, but it refers to the end time. It's not that God spoke long ago through the prophets, and then more recently, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews is saying much more than that. It's that God spoke long ago through the prophets, but now, once for all, at the end of all ages, he has spoken to us in his son. The argument, particularly of verses 1 and 2 here of Hebrews 1, is basically that God's revelation in Christ takes precedent over any revelation that had come previous. And it argues the point in three ways. First, the messenger is superior. The author of Hebrews argues that the messenger that God uses to bring his New Testament, New Covenant revelation is superior to the messengers that he had used in the Old Testament. And it says very clearly that in the Old Testament, God spoke through his prophets. In the New Testament, God has not simply revealed himself in his servants, who initially were the apostles. He has revealed himself in his own son. So the messenger is superior. Second, we learn that the means of revelation is superior. In the Old Testament, God used various modes, various ways, various types of revelation. But in the New Testament, revelation is concentrated in the life and the work and the words of Jesus Christ. The revelation is focused personally in the Son. Personally in the Son. This isn't just a transmitted message. This just isn't communicated knowledge. This is a relationship with a person which is far superior far superior than just a transmitted message or communicated information. This is a relationship. Yes, the revelation of God is now focused personally in the Son. Now, I was thinking about this a little bit, thinking about Old Testament revelation versus New Testament revelation. How many of you are familiar with the Old Testament? 
sure you guys all have your favorite stories. And I'm sure that a lot of those stories involve communications, kind of divine miraculous communications from God to human beings, right? I mean, some of us, I certainly have, some of us perhaps have thought at times how helpful it would be if God would just come and speak to us like he did to Abraham. You guys think that'd be nice? I think that'd be nice sometimes, especially when I'm trying to decide what shirt to wear in the morning, right? would make decisions of guidance so much easier. That God would just like come out of the sky and, and tell us what to do. I mean, that was what it was like with Abraham, right? Abraham was just going about his business, living his life, getting old. He got real old. And then God would just show up and say, hey, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to hope for. You know, when we read the Bible... Maybe we get a little bit misled, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just because we're reading a narrative very quickly, we don't have an understanding of the years that are going by. But I want you to think about it, right? As we think about how nice it would be for God to just pop out of the sky and tell us what to do. Think about it. As far as what's recorded between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, and that's where we kind of find the bulk of the story about Abraham God only speaks to Abraham about five times in his entire life. Abraham got into his hundreds, right? God only speaks to him about five times. It wasn't, wasn't like it was an everyday occurrence. God didn't come down each day and tell Abraham what he was supposed to have to eat for his meals and what he was supposed to do in the morning, what he was supposed to do in the afternoon. I guess my point is, and I think that this is the point that that the author of Hebrews is making too. My point is that we have far more revelation in the word of God at our disposal than even Abraham had. In the word of God, we have the totality of God's revelation, the story of what he accomplished for us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. We can hold the revelation of God in our hands. There is power in this, revel in, in this revelation. There is power to save. God uses this as a tool, as a means of grace for us. I can hold it in my hand. It's an amazing thing what the Lord has given to us in his word. And so again, in the Old Testament, God spoke sporadically through different means, visions, dreams, manifestations, etc. But today, the Lord has spoken definitively in Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the words of Jesus. There's a third way in which our revelation is superior to that of believers in the Old Testament. It has to do with the time frame in which God spoke. God spoke in the distant past to our ancestors in the faith, and, and so there is continuity. They are our ancestors in the faith, right? But here's the contrast. He has spoken in these last times through his own son. I know I've made that point already, but here's a little bit different aspect to it. The directness with which he addresses us is different. Okay, I'll explain that a little bit further. God has not only spoken to us through his prophets from long ago, because those are in here too. 
God has spoken to us through his own son with a directness. In the Old Testament, you have to understand that when God spoke, there were almost always human mediators, human intercessors, go-betweens between God and his people. And so the messages would go through the mediators, right? In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the mediator. Jesus Christ is the mediator. And so, because Jesus Christ is God, what we have today, what we enjoy today with regard to the the revelation that God has given us, the way we understand it, it's that God is revealing this directly to us. God is revealing himself through Christ directly to us. And so we see superiority in the messenger. We see superiority in the form of revelation. We see superiority in the time frame of the revelation. In other words, and this is where my sermon title comes from, in Jesus, you have a better everything. You have more revelation at your disposal than did Elijah or Abraham or David. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is wanting to do? He is wanting us to stand back with awe at the glory of what God has done for us, at the magnitude of the gift that God has given us. God says to us, I have given you far more of myself than I gave to anyone in the Old Testament. You know more about me. I revealed more to you about myself than I did even to my servant Moses, who alone among my prophets saw me face to face. Imagine that. Imagine that. The author of Hebrews wants us as believers to sense the glory of our daily experience so that we don't mindlessly go off looking for something else because what God has given to us is so incredibly precious. As we close, there's another side to this as well. I want you to think for a moment about the responsibility that we have as recipients of this comprehensive, better-than revelation, this better everything. Actually, I'm going to bump into Hebrews chapter 2 and read the first couple of verses there. It says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You see how that's, how that's put in the negative, but, but the message received is such a positive? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Are you idiots? That's what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying. Do not turn away from this great revelation that you've been given because to ignore such a wonderful thing is to turn your back on the salvation, the great salvation that God has offered. 
Our passage argues that if we have received a greater revelation even than Moses, we better be very careful in the way that we listen to what we have received. We must pay close attention to what has been said to us. And brothers, this is a challenge for us, and I like to think of it as a challenge going into the new year to take every opportunity to read the word and to hear it preached, and to hear it taught, and to reflect on it, and to memorize it, and and to to meditate on it, because we have been given this tremendous privilege and this tremendous responsibility. Then Hebrews 1 continues with this robust description of what Jesus Christ is like, particularly compared to the angels. Now, we already know that Jesus Christ is the culmination of all that was said in the Old Testament, and now that claim is backed up by these important biblical truths. First, we'll do these very quickly. Jesus has been appointed by God the Father as heir of everything, and so he is heir of all things. And as heir of all things, he holds a divine position because we know that all things exist for the glory of God. And so Jesus Christ holds the divine position. And also notice that throughout this passage, Jesus is referred to as the son. He has a unique relationship with the heavenly father, okay? And I also want you to notice that that he's appointed by God. And and this phrase simply uh, kind of draws out the fact that God the Father and God the Son have agreed before the foundation of the world to do certain things for the sake of your salvation and for my salvation. God the Father appointing the Son as heir of all things is evidence of that agreement that, that the Father and the Son have entered into before the foundation of the world for our salvation. If Jesus, the son, is the heir of everything, then if we're going to share in anything, we must be in relationship with him. Does that make sense? If he is the heir of everything, then there is nothing left over for anyone else unless he determines and decides to share it with us, okay? So if you want to have a share in that great inheritance of God, our Heavenly Father, then you have to be related to our Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be in favor with him. And so this is kind of a beautiful picture of how Christ, as the Son of God, shares his inheritance with us who are found in him, who are considered his people. John Calvin writes, if Christ is the heir of all good things then we must be in Christ to receive an inheritance. If we want to receive what God has desired for those children that he has created, we must be in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and that means trusting in him alone for our salvation. It means believing to the point of staking our lives on all of the claims that he makes about himself, It means believing in him as Lord and Savior and walking in fellowship with him as saved and redeemed people. It's a tall order. But if we are in him like that, then we are fellow heirs. Paul actually talks about this very thing in the book of Ephesians. He tells us that Jesus becomes our brother. Jesus becomes our brother. And brothers and sisters in Christ... We, along with him, become co-inheritors 
to those mansions of glory that God has prepared for us since the foundations of the world. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. In Christ, we have a better everything. May we never forget. Amen. Let's pray.